This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The founder of this company, 10 years ago, was trying to sell his house. He's, you know, he's kind of an important guy. And he said to his wife, if this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this? So he started a company and it went into business, I think, three years ago. Their deal is their word is their bond. And they are people that listen to this show. They are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company, realestateagentsitrust.com. Coming up on the show today, talking about the faces of insecurity, things that we do and other people do that are really coming from a root of being insecure, how to see it, identify it, and make sure it doesn't happen in our life. This is all coming up right now. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. Uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to the Charlie Harari Show. Great to be with you this week. What so much going on in the world, so much happening all around us. I don't even know where to start. Last week, for those that joined us, thanks so much for doing that. We spoke about terrorism. I feel like it's only gotten worse since then. You know what I'm talking about? Since we've seen Brussels and what they're up to and just how largely incompetent their police force is and just what jihadists are doing around Europe. They bunch, they caught a bunch of people here, saved a couple of potential terrorist attack. There's so much happening around the world every single moment, every single day. What a week. Great to be with you right now. Great to be able to just spend a couple of minutes sitting back and trying to make sense of it all, if you will. And, and this week I have something that's been on my mind. It's a small story that seemed to have taken up so much of our time this week, right? This week we had the story of Michelle Fields, I believe that's her name, and Corey Lewandowski, right? The the, the story that has just almost never goes away, where in a, I think it was a rally or a speech in Jupiter, Michelle Fields, who's a reporter who was then a reporter for Breitbart, was trying to get in front of Donald Trump. Corey Lewandowski, who was behind her, sort of grabbed her arm, moved her out of the way. And she reported it immediately, uh, tweeted it out, said that there, he, she was um, she was grabbed by him. He said, I never met you before. Um, and then it sort of it sort of like bounced around the bottom. Um, people were quitting Breitbart. Breitbart had made a decision to back Trump. It caused a little bit of an internal stir. And then this week, um, there was news out of Florida that Corey Lewandowski was charged with simple battery, which is a law on in the Florida books, at least, that any intentional touching of somebody else um, is would would fall under the purview of simple battery. That actually is not a law in New York for those that are up in the East Coast. And I would bet you a whole bunch of states don't have that law. I think you need a little bit more than just that low standard. But either way, uh, Corey was charged with simple battery, and and the circus just began. Right, like that was just the beginning of the problems, and then as the week went on, you saw even more stuff coming out. The uh, the defender, the court, you know, the, the the defense counsel for Trump and Corey was a former U.S. attorney out in Florida that was asked to resign because he bit a stripper, which I mean, just is unreal. Like this is this is the level of guy that I mean, it's just incredible and the prosecutor happens to be a major Hillary supporter. So this has really escalated into becoming a really big political scandal. And you know, as you sort of think through this, what's what should have been a simple story, I, I think if um if you look at the tape you'll see that he did grab her. Um and I think that 
It's a story that I think the Trump campaign could have dealt with in a very different way. You find this story sort of building a life of its own. And every show that I've seen this week, every clip, every radio show, every TV show, you just you're left scratching your head as to what is it in the mind of Donald Trump and Corey Lewandowski and his lawyer that they couldn't have just said, listen, this is what happened. There's a lot of people around you know, Donald Trump. You can't touch the candidate. That's the rules. Um, when you're running for president, at some point you get like presidential rules, which means you get secret service, which means no one could touch you, which means you can't sort of get in front of their faces. And had Corey Lewandowski been a secret service agent, I think no one would be saying anything, but he wasn't. And they could have came out and said, listen, we're sorry. We, we He jumped the gun. He, he, he jumped to defend his boss. Um, you know, let's give you an exclusive. I'll give you a couple minutes with the candidate. I think she would have been like, okay, listen, it happens. You know, it's a rough and tumble world. There's a lot of people. Um, and this happens sometimes when you're dealing with crowds of this sort. But they didn't do that. From the first second, they didn't do that. Um, and it's unbelievable to me. Like, nothing, nothing, nothing. They, they, it's just a, a world of, I never met her before. Really? We see you on a tape. She's delusional. Really? We're, we're watching a new videotape now. I never touched her. And you're like, every time. It's like, for real. Listen to this clip that I found of their lawyer just trying his hardest to like, sort of like dance around the fact that you now have a tape where you see Corey grabbing her you have a picture of her arm from that day, and he's saying, "Well, may, we don't know where the where, where the you know the bruises come from," and and just continuously just sort of deny it. Listen to this: "I never, I never touched you." Is not true, right? We're looking at the tape right now of him touching her. It certainly looks like he brushes by her, and like I said before, no, he doesn't just, even know who she is but at do the you time. Realize, do you realize that denying these basic things make you guys seem seem crazy? It makes you guys seem delusional if you won't just concede no, the things that we're actually. all looking at. We're all looking at no. this video. Yeah, but let me explain something to you. If he knew who she was, it would be a different situation. Is that unbelievable? I mean, is that unbelievable Like to, to just continuously deny it, deny it, deny it, deny it? try to push it back on her and and you're seeing the, the implications of that like if you're watching some of the shows during the week you're seeing like the Trump supporters getting up and saying she's making it up she's trying to get this trying to get that and there's like this delusional world that now is created all because Corey Lewandowski and Donald Trump can't say we're sorry that's it I mean that's what it have been like all it is is hey we messed up we're sorry like things happen it was real quick and we never should have grabbed her, and I'm sorry. Had either of them said those two words at any point of this incident, this would have gone away, in my opinion. would have gone away completely. Had they said it even after he got arrested, this would have gone away. Even if after he got arrested, Trump would have said, listen, I spoke to Corey that night, and he told me what happened, and it sounded like you know he didn't see her, and she's delusional. Right, if he would have just pulled a typical sort of Donald Trump on it, right? She's delusional, she's crazy, and we're right. And then this comes out, the new videotape comes out, and had Donald Trump got up and said, "Listen, you know, Miss Fields, we're sorry. You know, I, I'm speaking to Corey. We're reprimanding him. We're not going to fire him. We're not going to ruin his life for this. 
He was trying to defend me, and this is what happens. You know, you're in the line of fire. You make a bad call. We're really sorry, and we'd like to give you X or Y or just just say sorry. Had Donald Trump done that, his campaign, I think, would have taken a huge bump. Right? People have been like, hey, the guy's the human being. Like, you know, it happens. We, people make mistakes all the time. And they're owning up to their mistakes, and I think all the wind in her sails would have sort of evaporated. And this... I don't know what's going to be of this case, but then this would have turned into a political fight and it probably would have just gone, would have went away at the end of the week. But it didn't. And we're sort of stuck in this scandal of Trump's campaign manager pulling away a reporter and we just keep on coming back to it. And the question that I have for us today is why? Why do we obsess over a story like this. And I think the reason is because it is a great indicator of something a lot more fundamental, a lot more core to both Donald Trump, to the people around him, and to people around us, and maybe even to us ourselves. You know, I remember when I was in college, I'll never forget this night. And even though it was something huge did not happen, sometimes things happen to you in life, and they're not huge, but you remember them for a long time. So I was in college, and it was a Saturday night. And a bunch of guys sitting around, and were like, what do you want to do? So I was sitting around with three other friends. And I remember clearly saying, hey, this movie just came out. Let's go see the movie. And they're going, nah, I want to move for a movie. Let's just go out to eat. And I'm like, go out to eat. Come on. I'm like, how much could we eat? We've been eating all day. Let's just go out to the movies. It's a great movie coming. I want to see it. Come on, guys. It'll be amazing. And my buddies are like, nah, we don't want to go. Let's go out to eat. So I'm like, come on. Back and forth, back and forth. They go, let's take a vote. I'm like, this isn't a democracy. They're like, we're taking a vote. Take a vote. Three to one against me. We go out to eat. Right? So we go to this restaurant near near our near our dorm or whatever, and we're sitting around, and as soon as we get in, I know this is going to be the worst meal ever. right? The waiter service is backed up, place is packed, they're messing up our orders, it, the food tastes like it's been frozen. The whole thing is just one long culinary disaster. And the whole way through, I'm like loving it. Right, these guys are complaining about this. One guy spitting out his food. One guy didn't even get served, and I'm just like sitting there, like just basking in the glory of being right. You know, so we're getting in the get in the car, we go back. I'm smiling ear to ear. So my buddy from the back seat's like, "Why are you so happy for?" I'm like, "Why am I so happy?" I'm like, "Good call on the food, buddy." You know what? Had we listened to me, we would have actually had a good night. He's like, yeah, okay, fine, you were right, but like, what are you happy for? I said, because I was right. He's like, yeah, I know, but you also had a bad meal, right? Like, you didn't go to the movies, man. It's not like you went to the movies and we went to eat and we're meeting back. You had a bad meal. Okay, why are you happy that you yourself had a bad meal? And I'm thinking to myself, why do you got to bring logic into this for? Like, what's wrong with you? But the man was totally right, right? Like, I was also impacted negatively. But yet, I somehow found joy, even though I was, so to speak, suffering, in the fact that I was right. You know why? 
Because in life, we'd rather be right than be happy. Right? If you have a choice between apologizing to someone that you think hurt you and then mending the relationship or holding out and not, what do you pick? Most people will just hold out, right? Because why can't you pick up the phone and call me? I mean, there are families that can't even spend holidays together because some matriarch on one side and the other, and the matriarch on the other side just happened to have gotten to a fight like no one even knows why, and they won't even talk. And everyone's waiting for the other person to pick up. Why well, they can't? They can't pick up the phone. She can't. She doesn't have my number. Why can't she? She doesn't have a phone in her. She doesn't have a cell phone. Let her call me. Right? There are husbands and wives right now that will go home tonight and sit in their home and it'll be tense. And the reason why it'll be tense is because one of them said something that was offensive to the other. And as opposed to just talking about it, relieving the tension and having a good night, it will stay tense for both of them. Because nobody wants to say, hey, let's try to be be happy. They both want to be right. People will get divorced. People will destroy their children's lives. People will lose money in the need to be right. Because the need to be right is one of the most important needs that we all have. Why? How illogical is this? How dumb are we that we are living a life and happiness and meaning and purpose are so much more accessible than we think. And the reason why we're not taking it from right in front of our faces is because we have this hang-up of needing to just to be right. Right? You gotta be right. You wanna have, like, you know, tough relatives like this? That even though they ever, you ever sit at, like, a family meal? You know what I'm talking about? And it's like, you know, the head of the household got some point that makes no sense. When I was younger, this is what we used to do. And when he becomes this, and we're like, what are you talking about? It doesn't work anymore. And the whole table is like, hello? Like, are you even in this? Are you like, are you even like paying attention to the words that you're even saying? And they will not let up. Like, they won't even let up. And at some point, you're like, okay, okay, you're right. You're right, 100%. No, of course. If everyone would just, you know, go to Vietnam for six months and then, yeah, 100, yeah, for sure. We should all do this. Exactly. Everyone should take this class and everyone should work in this place and everyone should give all their money up to the, you know what I'm talking about? Like, and you're looking like, can't you listen to, and, and they don't. And they don't. You were going to a fight with somebody and they're not even listening to you. Why? Why are we, why are we like this for? Do you want to know why people, I think, are so obsessed with this dumb Corey Lewandowski story? It's because it's so childish. It's so dumb. It's, you grabbed a woman. Just say, I'm sorry. Why must you always be right? Like, we have the videotape. It's not even like she said, he said, we're all watching the exact same thing. There you are. There she is. Here's how she moves. That's your hand. These are the bruises. 
we're going back to the videotape. And even with the videotape, you got Trump guys going, nah, I don't think so. You have Trump himself going, nah, I don't think so. And the world is just looking around and going, what are we missing? Like, what in the world is going on? Why must all of them be right? They'll be better, right? Their campaign will experience more positive. Nobody in the world would vote for them less if he got up and said, we were wrong, we're sorry, they'll be happier because less people will be on their backs or maybe, just maybe, they will have done the right thing. At the end of the day, every one of these problems go away if they can just say, I'm sorry. That's why we're still thinking about the story, by the way. There's no question that the actual act itself, it may have been bad, but it wasn't that bad that everybody's sitting around talking about it. It's only because of their complete relentlessness to have to be right that's making the rest of us crazy. So why are they doing this for? So in fact, I think there's a reason. And I think this is the reason that you're going to see again and again from that group. But more importantly for today in this show, because the goal of the show is to find lessons for our lives, I think there's a reason why each and every one of us does it for ourselves. When we come back, we're going to delve into that reason. What is it that makes us need to be right? You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show, and this is the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be right back. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. This is The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari. The founder of this company 10 years ago was trying to sell his house. And went through real estate agent after real estate agent, and they were all talking a great game. And this guy who is selling his house, the founder of this uh, this company, he's you know he's kind of an important guy and kind of, you know should get the best treatment. And he said to his wife, "If this is what it's like for us, how do people who have no clout ever get around this?" So he started a company, and it went into business. I think three years ago, their deal is their word is their bond. And they are just like you. Now, how can I say that? Because I'm the founder of the company. We have a thousand agents across the country and they are people that listen to this show. And so when you go through real estate agents, I trust it's sent to somebody who already, you already know their sensibilities. They already are cut from exactly the same cloth. There's gotta be a better way. There is real estate agents. I trust.com. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Talking about the need to be right. What is it about us and our incredible need to always be right? Why does Donald Trump and team seem to never say sorry? In fact, if you look back at his campaign, the guy never says sorry ever. Right? Have you ever heard him say, hey, John McCain? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> the whole, like, you're not a war hero because you're in a way is just a, re- I'm sorry. Like, you know, uh, you know, Megan, uh, um, Megan Kelly, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm so sorry that I just went crazy on you. Like, um, there's none of that. There's never an I'm sorry. There's never an I'm sorry. There's never an I'm sorry. So, why is that? What, what is it about the 
inability to say I'm sorry that dominates the Trump campaign, but more importantly, what is it about the inability to say I'm sorry that dominates our lives? And I think it comes down to one simple distinction. And if you can make this distinction, I think it could change your life. Personally, I think understanding this one distinction could have an impact on your entire life. If you hear this and you take it in. I got this from a documentary I saw this week called Misery Loves Comedy. This, I don't know, there's something about this documentary that I just felt like it was like totally cathartic for me. You know, it was a documentary. I'm not a stand-up comic, but if you ever get to speak in public or do shows, you you, you tend to identify with some of these stand-up comics because you put yourself out there, you say stuff, you hope people like it. Um, this was basically a hour and a half documentary interviewing like dozens of comics and asked them like, you know, similar questions like, you know, when did you know that you were going to be a comic? What was your worst, you know, you know, what was the worst time that you, you bombed or you know, all, all that stuff. And they had great, a huge range of comics and they had great things. And along the, along the way, there was one comic that said something really insightful. He said, I remember who it was. He said, in order to become a stand-up comic, you need to distinguish between yourself and your material. Because if you don't, and you give over, and you and you deliver a joke, and it bombs, you're going to think that you're a failure, and you're going to give up the whole thing. And if you do, you'll say, okay, that joke didn't work, that joke worked. You can survive even if you get up on stage and you say your joke and you deliver your punchline and like it's like you know crickets or worse it's like hate you know like you're at a club and you're you got the mic and everyone's staring at you going like we hate you because we gave you our attention and you delivered nothing in return which happens every night of the week to you know half the comics out there today that's just how life works right so the ability to distinguish between what you do and who you are is the only measure of survival in a world where you are in constant vulnerability to the people around you. That, to me, was genius. The hour and a half of that documentary was worth it just to hear that one line. Why is it that... We feel the need to always be right. I think the answer is that we cannot distinguish between the things we do and the person we are. Right? This is a really big point, I think. Who we are is something deeper than the things that we do. Now, we may be influenced and impacted by our decisions and our choices, right? If we drink too much, we may say that we are alcoholics, right? The action becomes the person, right? If you go to work, right, and you're a mechanic, you well, what, what makes you a mechanic is that you go and do certain activities that would put you under the guise of being a mechanic. If you're a car mechanic, the fact that you work in a garage makes you a mechanic. So you go home, you look at yourself in the mirror and go, what are you? And you go, I'm a mechanic, right? I'm a doctor. I'm an Indian chief, right? I am a, you know, a Giants fan. I'm a Packers fan, 
right? So you're identifying with the choices you make and with the things that you do. And if you go through life, you will find that 99% of people, their identity is really just their choices. They'll just look at their lives and go, I'm a this fan, I'm a that fan, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, right? I'm a... I'm a I'm a Christian. I'm a Jew. I'm I'm all the things that I I I'm a I'm a doctor. I am a teacher. They they just look at their lives and they see the things that they do every week, and then they sort of put identifiers on those actions, and then that becomes who they are. And that's it. That's who they are. And that's why, by the way, if a team loses, some people take it like way too hard. Like I mean like way too hard. You know, there's actually a study that I saw of um, hospitals you know, within like the five mile radius of major sporting events. And there's this crazy study that basically shows that Super Bowls or, you know, Game 7s or whatever, around that area, there are heart attacks that take place the nights of games because there are people in the stands that are fans and when their team loses, they have heart attacks. And there's an increase in emergency room activity, not because of fights, but an increase in emergency room activity around major sporting events from the fans. Why? Why do you go and spend all this money and root for a team and spend an enormous amount on a ticket and then cause yourself physical pain if the players don't even know your name? And the answer is because that team has become tied up into your identity. That's how it works. That's why when, you know, the Yankees lose, I'm like in physical pain. It's not because I, you know, I'm getting a call from anyone until like, you know, sort of to, to, you know, jump in as a middle reliever. It's because it's so tied into my identity that it, it's, it's an automatic feel. Who we are and what we do seem to be all connected. And it's all bungled up. And when it's all bungled up and connected, we get a problem. Because if what we do fails, then who we are becomes a failure. And if who we are becomes a failure, we can't handle that. Because none of us can handle being a failure. And so what happens sometimes is that our actions end up being the things that we look to to measure who we are. And if that's where we are in life, then we are in some serious, serious risky territory. When we come back, we're going to talk about just why this is, why this is a lot of what the Trump campaign is going through, and how, what we can do to actually fix it and change it. This is all happening right here on the show, listening to The Charlie Harari Show, and this is the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. And his favorite cereal is Muselix? Oh, Ted. Even if it is, this is one instance as a politician. I'm giving you perfect permission. I'm telling you to lie. This is one of the rare occasions I'm telling you to lie. You lie about this as a politician. Lie. You don't tell people one that has a lot of dietary fiber so you can poop. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 
It's more than just events. It's what they mean to your life. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari. Welcome back to the Charlie Harari Show, talking about the distinction between who you are and what you do and how and why that is so incredibly important for being able to navigate through life. So let's just jump right back in. We're speaking about Donald Trump, Corey Lewandowski, how that Corey, how Corey Lewandowski's inability to apologize is what caused this whole scandal. And everyone else is basically just scratching their heads now going like, just apologize, but he's, he's not and he's making us crazy. And the truth is, you know, we look at him and go, just apologize. But if you look at ourselves, look in the mirror, we'll say that there's plenty of things that we just need to be right on and not, you know, in any which way uh, being more open to saying I'm sorry when we should be saying I'm sorry. And why is that? And we said in the last segment it's because we seem to merge and collapse who we are and what we do into the same thing, right? I am a doctor, let's say, or I'm an athlete or I'm a teacher. And so if someone doesn't like my pitch or my, you know, diagnosis or my class, then they must not like me, right? This is a, and now as a result, I am being rejected. I am being a failure and I cannot handle being a failure. Just just understand that we, each and every one of us, cannot handle being a failure. If we think we are failures, that's when all the other stuff comes in. That's when we start getting into drugs and alcohol and we sort of lose ourselves to the internet and there's all, you know, faith gets lost. Who we are is totally separate from what we do. And if you don't know that, if you don't believe in your core that who you are is a entity that is deeper than what you do, and who you are is something, I want to say someone even, something that rests within even your body, and who you are is a consciousness or soul, a spirit, whatever the, you're going to want to connect to that, that allows you to adapt and to change and to grow and to learn. And and who you were at 15 is not who you are at 25 or 35. 40. Who you are is this constantly evolving spiritual entity that is adapting and learning and, and navigating this complex world. And that being is who you are. Along the way, you do things. And because we live in a world where no one's going to like go, oh, you're a soul, we, 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 send, we, we stop at the surface. And we go, okay, you're a student, and then you become this, and then you become that, fine. But if you can separate who you are from what you do, what you start to realize is that sometimes I do something, and I fail. I fail at it. And in my failure, I realize that I'm not perfect. And then I made that mistake. And that's fine. Because I'm not the failure. Like the like the comedian said, you bomb a joke. I'm not the joke. I'm not the set. I'm not the act. I'm me. I'm going to evolve. I'll get better tomorrow. You go you go to bed you go to bed that night and you go, "Well, that failure actually is pretty it's pretty important because the failure is teaching me something that I didn't know beforehand." Right? Failure is an incredible teacher if you can just learn to, to see it that way. Because if you fail, you learn something that may, you may not have realized to even learn it but for the failure. But it only works if you 
are able to see yourself as separate from the failure. Because the minute you tie yourself into your actions, you fail and you can't get past it. So what ends up happening is you never admit it. You don't admit it to yourself. You definitely don't admit it to other people. And you will allow yourself to justify everything that you do and be right over being happy. Because you'd rather sit in tension with your wife or husband but still not think that you're a failure because of what you said or what you did. You would rather sit in a terrible meal and be right than allow yourself to realize that, hey, wait a second. Maybe there's something bigger than me and I am where I am. Let me try to make the best of it. You allow yourself to pull a innocent reporter down or almost pull her down and then have her show you the bruises and go, what are you talking about? Because your whole reality is tied into itself. And you have less security as to who you are as a human being. This is the root of insecurity. When someone is insecure, what that means is that they are not secure in the knowledge that they are something of value outside their actions. Insecurity means I need something to show me or tell me that I am important because I don't know it on its own. For Corey Lewandowski to have denied this and to never say I'm sorry is only a proof that he is insecure in himself and who he is. Because beating or winning or being the campaign manager or whatever those things are is way too important to him to stand a chance at risking it by being able to say, I did this. Because who he is, he is not secure in enough. If there was ever a candidate that showed us that, it's Donald Trump. I mean, if there's ever a candidate you can point to and go, classic insecurity, Donald Trump, is it not? Can you go through one of his speeches without him telling us how rich he is? Do you know anyone in your life that has real money, that's secure, that has self-worth and self-value, that spends any of their time bragging about their wealth? Anybody? Is it a shocker that Donald Trump's plane is like decked the entire time in gold and everywhere you look is like Donald Trump, Donald Trump? Is there? Do you think it's a coincidence that his buildings all have Trump? Everywhere you look is Trump, 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 Trump. He is always saying how much he's winning, how great he is, how smart he is, how rich he is, how great his campaign is doing. Have you ever heard him once, once say, I'm sorry, I messed up? I did this wrong, I was I, I, I thought about it incorrectly, or I'm just so you know, thank so and so or it's not really me. You know, imagine him say like it's God, that would be huge, but imagine him say no none of that. How come? How come? He's a smart enough guy to amass his fortune, how come? It's not that he doesn't know it, he knows it. So how come he can't say it? And the answer is because he can't separate himself from his worth, his value, his money. He can't separate it. He doesn't have an identity outside his success. His identity 
is his success. That's what it is. His name, his brand, himself, his person, his personality is all tied up into money and wealth and power. So he can't for one minute in any which way risk that. That's who he is. He doesn't have an identity outside that. He doesn't say, I am me and I'll evolve and I'll become who I am and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a being that is bigger and greater than any dollar that I make. He can't. So if he makes a bad decision, if he can't possibly say, My, I'm sorry, because that would say, I am a failure. I'm sorry can only come out of the mouth of someone who is secure in themselves. I am sorry only comes from a person that knows at their core that I am not my actions. The action was wrong. I messed it up. But it has nothing to do with me. In fact, for people that are secure in themselves, they're always saying, I'm sorry. Not too much. They're not doormats, but a lot. Because they know that their actions aren't really them. And if anything... They want their actions to mimic a truer sense of who they are. So as soon as one action is stepped out, is out of line, they want to just fix it, right? They want to make it better. They want to, you know, not hurt people with it. Self-value is the sure sign of humility. And humility is what gets people to say, I'm sorry. If there is someone in your life that can never say I'm sorry, I want you to understand this now, that it's because they are insecure. And if there's someone in your life that has the ability to say I failed, that it's coming from a place, if it's done properly, obviously, if it's not sort of giving up on life, if it's not, it's not, if, if it's not a depressive thing, it's coming from a place of security, from humility. Because that's really how life plays out. If you deep down know that you're beyond what you do, you're more willing to say, I'm sorry for the thing that I did. You're secure in you, so you don't need everyone to always validate your actions. We can smell this. We can like, it's like a sixth sense that we all have. You know what I'm talking about? You know like when you're like in high school and like there's one kid that wants to get into your clique and the minute they want to get into your clique, you automatically don't want them in, right? Like yesterday, you're like, oh, that guy's amazing. Maybe we should invite him over. And then the next day, he's like, hey, guys, uh, listen, uh, why don't you call me? Like I, I was waiting all night and we're, and you're like, what? You said you were waiting all night for a phone call? Forget it. Delete, right? Why? Because the minute somebody is so desperate for something, you automatically question whether or not they wa you wanted them in the first place. Or you ever like go out with somebody and then they're like too into you? Because what we crave are individuals that are secure in themselves because then they have what to offer, right? If people that are insecure, they're takers. They suck the energy out of you. Sometimes you see that takers end up with other takers and they just sort of like sit together and they suck each other's energy. They're just like fanning themselves for compliments, telling each other how great they are, and they just can't stop doing that. And then you sit with someone who's more secure, and they're looking at you going, do you stop? And so when you see somebody that is secure in themselves, they're, they almost exude a charisma. And that charisma is real. 
It's real. It's rock. And sometimes you see someone who's insecure. And they'll be talking how great they are. In the beginning, you'll be taken by them. And you're like, wow, they really are amazing. But over time, you start looking going, mm, I don't know. I think that's what's happening right now. I don't know if this, if, it may be a little bit too late, but I think that's what's happening with this whole Trump campaign. I think this this whole Lewandowski story is bigger than anybody thinks. Because I think people are looking and going, really? Re- really? Did you just, oh, come on, for real? Oh, man. You just can't get over it? Because that's really the undoing of people. The undoing of people is the inability to say, my bad. You see it with companies all the time. All the time you see companies that make bad business decisions. And when there is a strong leader at the top who says, guys, we messed up, the company survives for the most part. But what really takes a company and puts them through the ringer and has them ultimately go belly up is when the the, the head of the company just digs in their heels and says, no, we're not wrong. We're not wrong. Our way. It's those those kids, they don't know what they're doing. You know, the, we, we got to make cars this way. We got to make products this way. Who needs to be on the web? Back in my day, we used the yellow pages. Are they going to stop using the yellow pages? And it's like, all right, you're digging those heels. You're digging those heels. You're digging those heels. You wake up one morning, and then there's no business left. You know who, 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 where I learned this first from? I learned this idea first from two men. One was named Pharaoh, and one was named Moses. You remember the story? Remember the story of Pharaoh and Moses and God? God shows up and tells Moses to go get the Israelites out of Egypt. And he goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's like, no way. Right? Remember the story? So as a kid growing up, I remember hearing the story first. And like, I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm sort of like behind Pharaoh in the beginning at least, right? Like, think about it. Like, you're the head of this massive country, right? Egypt was the epicenter of civilization. Now it's a third world country, but it was it was once the epicenter of civilization, and now in your in your civilized world you have a workforce. It was a slave workforce, but it was a workforce nonetheless, and that workforce, you know, was building your whole city, all your cities up, and then like a guy named Moses shows up from the desert, and he's like, "Hey, Pharaoh, uh, I was hanging out by the desert and I saw this bush, and it was burning, and it was God." Pharaoh's like, really? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, whatever you do in your time is your business, but I can promise you one thing, it wasn't God. Remember, I'm Pharaoh, I am God. And like, I'm kind of thinking, I remember as a little kid listening to her going like, you know, I got to tell you, like, I don't know. It sounds a little, you know, if I was Pharaoh, I'd be like, I don't know about that. So, no, thank you, Moses. I'm not going to just let you walk, like, you know, two million people out to the desert. Like, what's your plan? You know, it's a desert, right? It's not like it's not a highway. You're not taking them down the, the 95, right? There's no place to stop off on a Starbucks so the kids get a little... It's a desert. I'm going to have like 2 million people walk out to die? No. They're working. They're living in their cities. I got this. No thanks. I'm not letting anybody out. Right? And I think he was kind of right in the beginning. And then something happened. Moses was right. Right? Like, Moses is like, okay, fine. Well, here's what's going to happen. The whole Nile's going to be bloody. And Pharaoh's like, no, it's not. And boom, Nile's bloody. And there's frogs everywhere. And there's lice. And Moses is like, calling one. He's like, God sent me. And Pharaoh's like, no, there isn't. He's like, okay, then if that, watch, tomorrow morning this is going to happen. Boom, it happens. Boom, it happens. Boom. And I'm thinking to myself, as I'm hearing the story as a kid, I'm thinking to myself, okay, plague four, plague five. 
And every plague, Moses come, comes back and goes, Pharaoh, you ready? And he's like, nope. Now? Nope. I'm like, come on, you're six plagues in. Your country is disintegrating. He's God. I mean, how much more proof do you need? Let those people out. You got the rest of the population to deal with. And you don't have a country left because all the cattle's dead and everything is rotting and everything, you know, it's frogs everywhere. Come on. That's why he's Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh never gives in. And he will take his country to the ground rather than say, my bad. Sorry, Moses, my bad. God's real. No one's getting, no one's batting a thousand like this. Um, yeah, just take out the, you can take him out. It's cool. Uh, you know, you can have him. My bad. I didn't realize, I didn't know there was a God. I, didn't, I wasn't raised with it. I didn't, I didn't go to school as a kid growing up. Um, but apparently there is, and he's really powerful and cr- quite creative, I may say. And, you know, good luck with that. That would have been a, a secure leader. But he was Pharaoh. He was clearly insecure in that way. I mean, if you think anyone who thinks they're a god is, I think, has some insecurity issues. But that's a different story. This is the story of leadership from the beginning of time. This is the story of leaders from the beginning of time. We are plagued in our history with insecure leaders that pontificate and and project, and will never ever say, "My bad," because. They're insecure. Why are leaders so insecure for? Well, we're going to talk about that when we come back. When we come back in the last segment of the show, we're going to talk a little bit as to why leaders are insecure and why we're insecure and what we can each do to break this pattern, see the good in ourselves, see the good in others, and make sure that we can live our lives just a little bit more focused on our self-worth to become happier and more successful. This is the Charlie Harari Show, and you're listening to this on the Blaze Radio Network. It's not just about the facts. It's about perspective. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari. Chris Salcedo. Sanctuary cities in this country who are in open defiance of immigration law, and nobody cracks down on them. So Mr. Obama's priority is to not protect you and me. His priority is to prosecute, and I can't even believe I'm saying this, to prosecute Border Patrol agents if they don't go along with his lawless activity. Chris Salcedo, Saturdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Talking about insecurity, Pharaoh, Moses, Donald Trump, Lewandowski, me, you, our family, people that we know in our lives, and how just the insecurity plays into everything that we do. And why is that? And the answer, I think, is because whenever you're good at something, people tell you how good you are at it, you think that is who you are. And if you stop being good at it, people will love you less. I think this is the core of it. The reason why we see this in leaders a lot is because leaders have a certain level of success or else they wouldn't be leaders, right? And as soon as they hit that certain level of success, they feel like, but for that success, people won't really like them or love them, even if they're very macho. And as a result, leaders or people that are very good at certain things develop this complex that if I stop being good at this, 
then I won't get the same level of attention or love that I've been getting in other places, right? If I stop being good at making money, people won't like me. So let me start to steal a little bit. If I stop being good at making jokes, people won't like me. So let me continue to make jokes. Or unfortunately, as you see from some comedians, let me take my own life because I don't, I don't think I can, I can sustain this. I'm really good at this or that. And as soon as I get good at something, I start to think that the reason why people like me or are connected to me is because of the thing that I'm good at. And if I stop with that, I'm going to lose them too. This, by the way, is why you see insecure leaders. This is why you may know or you may be somebody that didn't start off being insecure, but over the course of time became that way. Right? Over the course of time, you start to change because you start to play to things that will get that attention from people. And then you got to need that thing so badly because you're scared that if you lose that thing... People won't really value you. But here's the secret. People value people that don't need to be valued. You get that? I got an email this week from a great guy. I don't know if I want to say his, if he wants me to say his name, but he emailed me saying that he listened to the show, hopefully listening to this this week. And one of the questions he asks me, he asked me is, How do you move on? He was in a relationship as in high school, I believe. And it was a difficult relationship for him. And his question was, how do you move on from challenges? How do you move on from things in life that you wanted it, that they got taken from you? And I believe this is it. When you realize that failure and challenge and obstacles are not messages that there's anything wrong with you. But they're part of the fabric of life that enable you to stretch and to become bigger and better. Then you'll be able to look at challenges, whether that's communicating to people or getting over a a, a girlfriend or losing a job or anything else that, that you mess up on. You'll begin to look at them as opportunities for growth and for greatness. But if you look at the things in life as a proof that you're not enough, you'll never get over it. Because every time you'll try, you'll have that voice saying, but you're not enough. See, she didn't love you. See, you failed in that area. See, they didn't laugh. Or you had to get up in front of people and say, I'm sorry. Or you had to do whatever you had to do. But when you start to see your life and it's a life that your greatness comes when you grow. And the challenges and the obstacles that you face, even if you brought them on, is just how life works. Things are built to be imperfect. You know, someone gave me a quote once. He said that God created an imperfect world perfectly. How great is that? God created an, an imperfect world perfectly, meaning the intention of the world is to be imperfect because if it wasn't, what would we do all day? So people fail and people mess up and that's what happens. But the greatness in people is not when they fail. The greatness in people is how they get up from challenge. And when you see challenge and failure as opportunities to stretch and to grow and to, in some ways, make the deep down you a better person than before the failure, then when the going gets good, you'll enjoy. 
And when the going gets bad, you'll move past it. You'll call it out. You'll make your amends. You'll take responsibility. And you'll get better. I think Donald Trump could be president if he had this trait. He may be president either way. I don't know. But if he was just able, forget all the stuff, forget all the things that, he, that, that, that I think are problematic with his candidacy. If all he did was say, my bad more often, I think people would really, really give him a chance. And he doesn't realize that but that simple trait is showing the insecurity to the world in a way that they're smelling, that they're sort of sensing. And I think the same thing would apply to each and every one of us. The ability for us to be confident in ourselves to a point in which we are able to man up when we hurt people, when we can step out to help people, to overcome our challenges, to overcome our failures, to look ourselves in the mirror and say, I had a bad week, I had a bad month, I'm spending too much time doing this, I'm addicted to this, whatever it is, but that's not me. That's just a period that I was in. Once you find that deep down piece of you that is bigger, that is stronger, that is greater than any of your actions, you start to live. You're free. And you're free to live a life that either is going to give you a success, which you'll enjoy and be humble about, or a failure, which you'll scrape your knee, you'll feel the pain, but ultimately you'll get up, brush yourself off and say, now I have a chance to be even better than I was before. And if we live this way, who knows? Maybe we can take our lives from good to great to awesome. This is Charlie Harari thanking you for your time and attention. Always feel free to reach out to me, charlie at charlieharari.com. Love hearing your thoughts. Give me thoughts that you want, what you want to talk about in the future. You can follow me at Twitter at Charlie Harari. Love to hear from you. This is, I'd love to get a sense of what you want me to be talking about in the future, things that are on your mind, stories that you care about, so we can build a community together. Really appreciate your time and attention, and I can't wait to speak to you next week. You're listening to The Charlie Harari Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is The Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network.